Welcome to the Bourbon Boys. I'm joined again with Brian from Twisted Path. How's it going, Brian? Uh, good, good. Uh, this week, a little bit different of an episode. Since Brian Brian likes to geek out on whiskey, I'm going to let him take us through the uh, the distilling process, get as geeky as he wants, um, and whoever wants to listen to it can. Uh, we're drinking at the same time. Brian's had a few uh, Old Elk picks or potential picks. Uh, what do you What do you think about the Old Elk? Oh, they're good. They're uh, yeah. I, I mean, I enjoyed them. I uh, two of the three here were decidedly better than the third. I think, um, but yeah, they're good. That's good. Enjoy uh, it. Got a little bit of the barley. And he had a new uh, new riff, a single barrel rye, which is what you're drinking now. What do you think about that one? I like it as well. Here's the thing: is that I just like whiskey. <laughs> so like, these all fall in the category of boy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna enjoy my one my one p.m. Uh, whiskey sipping a lot more than I would otherwise enjoy one p.m. Understandable. <laughs> I like to I like to bring a lot of stuff when I go places. I actually have another box of whiskey out in the trunk that I still got there from Kentucky. Just cooking out there in the yeah, sun. Pretty much. Yeah. That's all the high price stuff too. I like to get that nice and oxidized. <laughs> yeah. Just open the cap; it'll be distilling again. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, since I said I'm going to let Brian do some talking this time, uh, first he's going to start off with a story from CIA. We figured we could do that finally. Oh, this is all a setup, <laughs> wasn't it? No, 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 no. All right, no. well, we're going to let uh, Brian start. How about you take us from, I mean, how you select the grains even? Do you do you yeah. get it from someplace local? Yeah, well, um, all my grain, I get one from one farmer right now, uh, okay. Dave, Dave Dolan in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. Uh, he's a local family farmer. I didn't start out that way. I didn't know him right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, since I, I do everything certified organic, so um, there aren't that many mills and places that have organic grain. Um, so I just started out talking to grain milk people um, and then started you know, getting stuff from different farms. And then at some point, I think it was about a year and a half in, um, uh, my grain mill guy, Gil at Lonesome Stone, uh, he told me about this Hopi Blue Indian corn. Uh, and he was, because I'm always asking, like, what do you have that's weird? Do you have something that, you know, is different and odd and maybe more flavorful or people don't know what to do with it or whatever? I'm into that, you know? Um, and so he, he flagged this, this Hopi Blue Indian corn as being this really flavorful, high protein, really distinctive corn. That was also kind of pricey, though, and people didn't really know what to do with it because mm-hmm. uh, it was so distinctive and tasting. Uh, and I immediately thought, well, I know what to do with it. I'm going to make bourbon with it, mm-hmm. right? And actually, up to that point, I had not made bourbon because I hadn't really found an inspiration, like a real thing I wanted to make bourbon out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so at that point, I, I, so I got some, some of the blue corn, and I met the farmer, and it was Dave Dolan. And then in talking to him, I found out, you know, the dream of a – little family farmer is that they have a buyer when they plant <laughs> so that they plant stuff knowing somebody's going to buy it as opposed to planting stuff and then just hoping somebody buys it when, the, when it comes ready uh and i said well my dream loaded is up on the uh the the loaded up get it take it to a silo it, yeah, and yeah. hope somebody buys it yeah take and it to market right and uh well my dream as a distiller was having a steady supply of good grain that i know is gonna make good booze so it was like all right well you're my guy <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we partnered up basically. Yeah. So, I mean, I actually just had the conversation with Gil the other day that was talking to Dave, um, about, uh, what, you know, we think we might be needing in the next year or so. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, everything right now is from Dave. Um, that's not to say it's like some sort of a gl- exclusive agreement. If there's some interesting idea of something to get from someplace else, I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, just to play around with stuff, gotcha. you know, um, small test batches and things like that. 
um, that Dave's not growing yet, you know? Yep. What did you start off with? What was the first whiskey or rye? I guess you, you did rye first. Yeah, it was uh yeah rye rye wheat corn. Of course, um, you did gins and vodkas first, first, right? Well, no rum actually. Rum, rum is what I was making in my kitchen allegedly. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I didn't admit to that. Mm, uh, too late. So this guy I knew, this guy <laughs> I knew that really well. He was making it in his kitchen. Um, yeah, uh, rum was that the first thing that the, my dark rum is what drove me to, to start a distillery. The, the dark rum was the thing that uh, was like, oh wait, okay, this is really good. This isn't like I'm proud of it because I I made it, but this is like legitimately good. And uh, the fact that I could do that with a thing I soldered myself in my kitchen, like, okay, if I had real gear, I think I might have a knack for this. Uh, and so that's what actually gave me the inspiration to start a distillery. Um, but so I started out the distillery with the rum recipe in hand um, and then started playing with rum. I mean, as far as what I released first, I had the rum in, in, in pocket already and then uh, and then vodka. And then it took me about a once I made vodka, then it took me about a year and a half to come up with my gin recipe. So it wasn't about a year and a half in until I came up with my gin. But they're unaged. Yeah. So like they're all way before the whiskey. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> What's the difference between making a rum and a bourbon as far as grains or process well the fundamental fermentation right so uh rum by law so whiskey by law is from the definition of whiskey is from grain mm. you know and subcategories of, of whiskey like bourbon and rye have more specific rules but whiskey has to be fermented from grain rum has to be fermented from sugarcane okay or something that came from sugarcane like sugarcane molasses um so there's ones that are from fresh cane juice there's ones that are from just molasses there's ones that are from white sugar and molasses those ones generally not as good um but so the variety of things that all have to come from sugar cane so right off the bat you don't have the same mashing process with grain you want to ferment grain just like in brewing beer uh you have to mash where you're going to use enzymes to convert starches in the grain into sugars so that they're fermentable so that the yeast can eat them when you're using sugar cane it's already sugar so really you, you know like molasses for example you're just diluting it in hot water throw yeast in you know uh that's pretty much it so the the mashing step is a lot easier. It's not gotcha. even technically mashing for for rum. All right. Well, um, moving on from picking the grains, we'll stick with uh, whiskey for now because we don't want to go too far off. Right. We don't make everybody's mind. Given explode. the name of the podcast. Yeah. Well, we've gone other ways, but um, after you selected your grains and. Take us through the mash process. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, basically you're taking whiskey is, uh, it's really fundamentally three ingredients. It's grain, water, and yeast. So uh, first thing you do is your, your, you know, grain in hot water blows apart the cell structure. Uh, and then you use enzymes to break apart starches into sugars. Mm -hmm. uh, so carbohydrate or starches are big, long molecules. And enzymes will snap it apart into smaller molecules that are sugar molecules. Okay. Those yeast can eat. And that's fermentation. All right. So you're using so in the mashing process, which I got going on in the back right now for a bourbon, actually, um, it's a bunch of grain in hot water, stirring around all day, uh, mix it up, stir it around all day. Um, starches convert to sugars, and at the end of the day, you've cooled it down and converted them into sugar, starches to sugars. Put it in a fermenter, add the yeast. Okay. So then some of the important variables are there: what the yeast is. Uh, different yeast will respond differently to different all the variables, right? Like what it's fermenting, what the nutrients are, what the, you know, the fermentable is, um, the temperature, um, the pH. There's a lot of variables that will affect the yeast and then what the yeast does. So selection of yeast has a big effect on, on taste. Um, but add the yeast and then also 
temperature control of the fermentation. So fermentation uh, puts off heat, actually. It's exothermic. So the fermenter itself will put off its own heat. And if you don't manage that right, depending on the tolerance of the yeast and what it likes, uh, you can get a very different flavors depending on the temperature of the fermentation. That's something I'm playing with right now, actually, uh, in tasting some different whiskeys uh, and, and thinking about what flavors I get from what, you know, what different variables to play with. Um, one that I've been playing with lately is using different yeasts and more tightly controlling the fermentation temperature. Um, what I've been playing with lately, this is good to get super detailed, yeah. is uh, ale yeasts and that are designed for beer, for ale, uh, and pushing the fermentation temperature, allowing the fermentation temperature to go a little bit at the top end or a little over the top end of what they would recommend for using it for ale, for beer, um, which creates a little bit of what in beer would be an off flavor, Mm -hmm. but in whiskey is not. Um, And then that's something that I'm finding comes through in uh, late heads. So skipping ahead to the distillation stage. Well, let me ask you a question yeah. first. When it comes to temperature, have you noticed any difference, a consistent difference when you do different temperatures? Like, is it sweeter at one end, or is it more hot? Uh, or? It's no, I wouldn't describe it that easily, uh, but yes. I mean, uh, first of all, just in the fermentation, you'll see it foaming too fast, or you're, you know that kind of thing, uh, just firing off too fast. Um, the flavor profile just coming off the still, even before you've aged it, can be very different. Um, you can get flavors that taste pretty nasty. Um, you can get tastes. Yes, it tastes very different coming off the still, depending on the fermentation temperature. It's not like where it's a degree different and everything else was the same. It's like, oh, my God, it's a different spirit. No, it's not that big. Uh, but, you know, if I just let it go crazy back there in the middle of the summer, uh, I'm going to get a very different tasting booze right off the still and after aging. Uh, than I would if I, you know, kept it tight at 78 degrees or something. Gotcha. All right. Well, you want to move on to your uh, heads and tails? I think that's where you were Yeah. Heading. So, and that, because that's relevant to then uh, the fermentation part. Um, so when you're distilling, you're boiling, you're boiling your fermented mash, right? Mm-hmm. And the alcohol evaporates a little easier than everything else. So the steam, the vapor pushing off of that, of that boiling pot is higher proof alcohol. And it still allows you to collect it. That's the gist of it, mm-hmm. right? But when you're doing a batch distillation, this is entirely different than a column distillation, right? A continuous still, uh, that's a whole other animal um, to describe. But uh, when you're doing a batch distillation, uh, the first part that comes off the still is nasty and somewhat poisonous. Then there's the good stuff, and then it gets nasty again in a different way. Heads, hearts, tails. And making the cuts between heads, hearts, and tails is, uh, is a big part of the trick of distilling. And then your design of still and how you run it will dramatically affect how you do that, right, or your ability to do that. So you take a percentage of each one of those and mix them together to make the final product? or No. It? I mean, what you do is basically uh, the beginning of the run, and I do it entirely by taste. And to that's me, heads? Yes, beginning. the beginning of the run is heads. And to me, the best way to do this uh, is by taste. And the reason is the ultimate measure of success is the taste, so the taste is the best measure, right? Mm-hmm. Any other approximation, right? Like people, people have asked, you know, oh, is it a certain amount of time or is it when it hits a certain proof or is it a certain, no, no, no. Paint my numbers crap like that's, that's, that's not going to work as well as just tasting it because that's what matters. So I'm basically tasting it as it com- comes off the still. We're not talking drinking glasses yeah. of it. I'm like dipping a spoon in it, right? Licking the back of a spoon kind of thing. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, but I'm tasting it as I go. And you're basically the first part of what's coming off the still, you're going to get rid of. And then all of a sudden you get to the, to the, to the, to the, to the cut to hearts. Um, and then you decide, okay, now it's good enough. Now this, now this is part of hearts. And now you start collecting and it goes in the batch. And then you're collecting most of the day. And then you start realizing you're getting closer to tails. So you start tasting more regularly. And then it starts tasting weird in a different way. And you got to draw a line. It's all blurry though, right? Like this isn't like a real sharp line. It's sort of making a judgment call on like, okay, that's enough. I'm going to stop here. Um, The rest of this is garbage. You know, this run is done. Gotcha. So you have a you have a point in the heads where you say, well, this is where the end of the nastiness is. Yep. And that's when the hearts start. Yep. And then you have to decide when you want to cut off the batch. Yep. For the best point. Yep. So to speak. Yep. Okay. And one of the weird learning curves on whiskey I've found is seeing firsthand, making your own things, making your own whiskey, and then letting it age. Because mm-hmm. now some of my whiskey is about five years old. Um so I'm getting to where it's a legitimately aged whiskey, right? Uh, it's over four. You know, I got a lot that's over four now. Um, well, not a, not a lot by normal distillery standards. A lot by, if I were to try to drink it, it'd be a lot. A lot by your space standards. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, but uh, now I can look back at what I did and I re- can remember and look at my notes and what I tasted off the still and really see what that ended up like years later on oak um and now i'm st- a lot is starting to click in a different way um where it's not a matter of being able to make better whiskey and you know, i think my, i actually really really like my whiskey but uh now i know what did what none of it's wrong it's more a matter of like if i want to have if i want to have a flavor profile more in this neighborhood i think this is what i do now like i now i get it right um tweaking and perfecting tweaking and perfecting and it's sort of like one of the things i decided like okay this is a little area of variables to control right and the whole process is just about controlling variables and changing different variables right and now like right now there's this one area of variables it's like ooh, i want to geek out on this right now and that's the yeast like I was saying, yeast and controlling the fermentation temperature and then late heads cut. Yeah. Like where that line is between heads and hearts and letting in a little, like pushing the ale yeast a little bit, create a little bit of off flavor, if you were talking beer terms. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of the heads cut, letting a little bit of that in that I might not have otherwise. And I think that's bringing over some interesting sort of different top notes, little spice notes mm-hmm. and things like that that, that uh, can kind of... There's a really good Be joke fun. in there about head cuts, but I can't I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, you're right. That's totally good material right there. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the agility to uh, jump right to it, but uh, oh, something about a moil. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. There's got to be something moil related. Yeah, you were on a roll. So I didn't want to cut. <laughs> <laughs> we're tasting uh, Russell's Reserve from McFarland Liquors. Uh, Nate picked this one, I believe. It's from 2014, I think. So it's a little older pick. It's nice. Yeah, it's it's uh, we did a blind of five different picks. Me and my my cousin, or my brother-in-law was here with me last time, and this came in first, first or second between the five. Cool. Um, so moving on, when you're, so now you're at filling the barrels, I guess. Yep. Um, even in a space as your size, if you notice a difference between where you age the barrels in the portion of the. No. Back room. No. Because, uh, I mean, 
some of that, I mean, it can be overhyped. I mean, sometimes, I, you know, if you got a warehouse where it's really dramatic, you got like 120 degrees up at the top and it's 65 at the bottom, like that's going to make a difference, I'm sure. Uh, I, you know, this is in an interior room yeah. uh, in a warehouse in an undisclosed location um, that may or may not be in Milwaukee. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's all the same temperature in there. Like, so, I mean, and... What's kind of interesting, though, is uh, like my that one release of whiskey I've had, that rye I had it released in spring. Uh, I released two barrels at the same time, and part of the reason I picked those two, because uh, I thought they were there, but I thought it was really fun that well, they're meaning done. I uh, say, yeah, not, not just not just because they were present. I knew they were there. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I like, hey, a barrel. Um, no, uh, that's got whiskey in it. <laughs> Whoa, who'd have thunk it? Uh, no, it was that these two barrels by the numbers were all identical, including aging sitting right next to each other in the same room. Uh, and yet they came out so different. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the climate of that room doesn't change for any of them. I mean, it changes yeah. season by season, but uh, the, all the barrels are in the same boat. So in your opinion, what's the biggest factor after you get into the barrel? Is it the wood? It's got to be the wood. You so know, where and it comes that, from on the tree or where uh, the tree comes from? I mean, I Both. think I my at this point now it's kind of getting into guesswork. Honestly, I don't know the answer for sure. My speculation, my guess would be, it's you know the kind of wood. I mean, most of these we're talking about are all American white oak, yeah. but um, but uh, but where it's grown, I can imagine. I mean, people talk about in the north it's tighter grain than in the south and things like that. South it's faster growth, um, but then also the drying process. I mean, people talk about how where it's kiln dried versus air dried outside for a longer time, where it's going to actually. There's going to be some sort of breakdown. Like yeah. I don't know about if it would be mold, but uh, there could be pr- some processes going on in the wood sitting outside in the elements for for eighteen months or whatever. Worms, worms. Uh, <laughs> but that, but it could be different yeah. than you know just kiln drying it real fast and then and then making a barrel out of it. Um, dog pee. Dog pee. Right. Never exactly. Done. Is it near a dog park? That could be a factor. Doves. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it tastes like when yeah. doves cry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a Prince reference. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know, um, and that that's something else I want to play with too. Is the barrels? Um, I've got a bunch from Minnesota and some from uh, Missouri. Okay, so you've got different barrels from different places. You're yeah. saying, yeah, nice, interesting. I mean, just in, I mean, I know places larger distilleries play around with that type of thing. Buffalo Trace with experimental stuff. It has to have something to do with the wood, and I think that's a lot about what dusties are because the trees weren't being harvested so quickly back then. Oh, interesting. So maybe a little older tree. I mean, I would imagine the grain would all be very different too. Yeah, one, of the, one of the things that I think is, is interestingly not talked about as much in the whiskey communities. Doves. It, well, doves, first of all. <laughs> I mean, they're beautiful, right? Yeah. Uh, but, no, uh, the grain itself. Um, and I, you know, I think it's no fault of the whiskey fans. I think it's because that's not in the stuff that the distilleries really put out there that much. Like they don't make that part of their marketing material stuff, right? As much as some of these other factors, yeah. you know, they'll talk about, you know, where it is in the rec house. Cause it's like a, but they don't talk about the grain or what farm or anything it's like that. Not as sexy to talk about. Well, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is I think For it's for people not distilling. It's also a lot harder to track. Yeah. And it's a lot harder to like for them to know what the hell went in what. Yeah. It's also probably not sexy if it's not food grade. Yeah. Which a lot of it isn't. And I mean, this isn't a criticism like in that 
the reason so distillers grade grain is short of food grade like yeah. you can you can you are legally allowed to distill with grain that's not fit for human consumption because distillation will make that irrelevant like yeah. so like there's grain that'll have mold infestations right that are not good for humans if you just eat it yeah but if you distill it it makes no difference so uh, that's not a criticism there but like but, but we'll it doesn't it a, sound good. Well, give it a funky flavor if you have some mold. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends. I don't know. I've never done that. I do. I do. I mean, I'm doing it on, on my scale, and you know, and the way I'm doing yeah. it, it's all food grade. It's actually really high end food grade. This okay. is the stuff they sell at Outpost. Is what Ooh. I'm making grain out of. Ooh, yeah, literally, nice. literally. Um, you get, your get Fiji water and your you grains. Can, yeah, yeah. I just get all <laughs> these bottles of Fiji water and screw the earth, and I pour all these plastic bottles in the. Yeah. Um, no, uh, but uh, you know, I, I think. Not that it's a criticism of the grain or what the product that it makes, but it wouldn't be good marketing mm. if you're transparent about your grain and it's not food grade. Yeah. Like that doesn't sound good. Right. So you might not want to talk about it for that reason or just tracking it. I mean, they probably get it at the scale of the big guys. Yeah. They're probably getting it on the open market. And there's like 50 different, you know, play, truck, truck massive. Loads, yeah. Like, yeah. Like it's probably from all over the place. Um, so. Uh, it's probably just not as interesting to talk about Makes um, sense. or good marketing, you know, to differentiate it. But barrels seem a lot cooler. Barrels are cooler. It's also like, hey, you're going to get a barrel pick, and uh, that one was, you know, 7F, and that one was, uh, you know, yeah. 13Y or whatever. Uh, that And you get to take the barrel with you. Right. You don't uh, get to take the grain home with you. No, no, no. What's picture left the, over from the mash? Picture of the f- sad farmer. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a bag of mash. Yeah. Take it with you. <laughs> Spent grain. Feed your, feed your cows. Yeah. Dog, you can make dog biscuits out of this. Oh, yeah. nice. I'm still waiting for somebody to come along, but I'm just waiting. I'm not really putting it out there until now. Is uh, My spent grain is organic, mm-hmm. and it's basically like good organic grain with the pro- with the, uh, with the carbohydrates removed. Make really good dog treats and stuff. Somebody, sh- somebody should do that, but not me. So Brian's saying next thing he's doing is dog treats. Dog treat people, call me. <laughs> Anything you need, dog treats. All those dog treat listeners out there. I'm sure there's tons of them. Yeah, we have those people with uh, commercial dewatering systems in their basement. <laughs> Perfect. So besides feeding uh, cows and dogs, is there anything else you can do with uh, cast-off grains and mash? Pigs. Pigs. <laughs> so and, that, and then that's it, right? Like, yeah, feed it to things. Uh, I think you should feed it to people. I think we should make power bars out of them but um, with the food-grade stuff. But, uh, no, I mean, that's pretty much it that anybody's doing with it. For, right. So pigs in my instance. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, well, I think we've pretty much uh, geeked out as much as we can. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. Cool. Does that mean I have to stop drinking your whiskey no. right now? No. Okay. We can okay. Keep okay. Oh, then, then, it's yeah, only then one o'clock. Can, then we can end. Well, yeah. one twenty-five. Otherwise, I have a lot more to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, tell us where you're located again, Brian. Oh, we're in Milwaukee, in Bayview, uh, at First and Beecher. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do all my tours and my distillery myself on mm-hmm. Saturdays at one, three, five, and seven. So those are fun. I kind of have drinks with people and show them around and nerd out on stuff. Um, so if you're a, you want a distillery tool that's not just about a party, although it is fun, but it's more about like people often leave the tour like I <laughs> learned a lot more than I expected, and I'm always like, is that okay? Was it fun though? Uh, so yeah, if you want to nerd out on uh, how to make booze. Uh, Come on down on a Saturday. Maybe they'll say the same thing after they listen to this podcast. That's true. That was just like that was just a bit much. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, <laughs> we got ten listeners this week. <laughs> All right. Well, in closing, I guess I'll say uh, until next time. Enjoy your pours and enjoy your family. And thanks for coming on, Brian. Thank you.